As parents, we're all proud of our kids from time to time, but when does that pride turn into something unhealthy? I started blocking certain people that, I mean, daily and multiple times a day, putting these posts about all of the great attributes and all of the accomplishments and everything their kids have been doing. And then, then I started looking back over my history, <laughs> and, and I did the same thing. And you don't get negative or where my kids struggling on Facebook. You only get the positive, the good, best foot forward, which is what all social media is. I get that. But uh, I've started to realize I do that at the grocery store, at Target, at Walmart, at church. I, I see my kids as a reflection of me. So when they're behaving well, it makes me look good. When they're behaving poorly, I am not that great of a parent. So I have to come across as a great parent all the time. Well, that confession comes from a dad who's recognized that he had a big problem with his expectations for his children. And we're going to be talking more about that today on Focus on the Family, hosted by Focus president and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and Jim, we're coming back to something that we as parents don't think enough about. Uh, and that is, what are my motivations here as I parent my kids? What's the reason behind what I'm doing here? That is so hard, John, to figure out because at times you're all over the map. I know I am. I mean, at times I'm bragging about Trent and Troy <laughs> doing well in school. Other times, you know, how athletically inclined they are. <laughs> and, you know, when you really hear yourself, if you can step back, you're going, okay, wait a minute. Are these the biggest and most important attributes that my children need mm. to survive in this world? And the answer is no. W what they need is a deeply rooted faith and a... A trust in Christ. And I, as a parent, that's what I've got to give them and provide them. The other things are just additional bonus material. Mm -hmm. And today we do want to talk about that because I'm concerned that we as parents are trying to create the trophy child. And that's a lot of pressure. It's unhealthy. And I think it brings a lot of problems into the home. And we've invited one of my favorite guests, Ted Cunningham. And Ted, uh, it is great to have you back with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I had a blast yesterday. Now, you wrote this book. I love the title. Let me read it. Trophy Child, Saving Parents from Performance, Preparing Children for Something Greater Than Themselves. That is it, isn't it? That, in a nutshell, is the mission of a parent. Absolutely. And most parents are looking, when they read a book or they go to a conference, or when I teach on it or do a conference on it, they want strategies. Right. Typically, discipline strategies. Can you come up with some good... All of our strategies, though, are built on our motives. So that's really what Trophy Child's about, looking at our motives, taking a deep look. Why did I discipline strictly there and not over here? Why was I so harsh at the store yesterday but not the day before? Those are all, all of those strategies are coming out of our motives. Mm -hmm. And and so at the end of every chapter, I put a gut check. I just want a gut check for myself to ask the hard questions. Why did I do that? What's the belief that was driving the way I responded to my child? Was it to look good, you know, in the eyes of the world? We are constantly displaying our children, placing them on a shelf, uh, polishing them, wanting the world to see mm -hmm. them because we've, we've viewed them as an extension of who we are. Well, we talked a lot about that last time, mm -hmm. and we covered some great ground. Uh, we ended last time talking about the guilt of a parent. Mm -hmm. And in my case with my mom, uh, you know, their marriage ended, and so my mom was a single-parent mom for a couple of years. And I was at that age when it was hard for me. I was five years old when it mm -hmm. happened. And and what I found is that my mom tried to overindulge, even though she didn't have a lot of money, but tried to overindulge by letting me basically have anything I wanted, G.I. Joes and outfits. And and I, I began to get spoiled in that way and manipulate that, actually. But I don't think she had the capacity to pull back. I, her death when I was 10 years old, that's what changed my heart because I lost the person I love the most in this world. 
And in some ways, that worked out to give me a better perspective about life. But a lot of kids won't have that situation to write their course. Uh, what happens as a parent when you're overindulging and out of guilt because of family breakdown or difficulty in the marriage? You're, you're doing too much for your kids. Is that harmful? Yeah, you're describing the Disney dad. The, the, ah, the dad. I'm going to do that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, thank you. But in the, in the divorced home, it's uh, whichever parent is not spending the most time that when they do get them for a weekend or a couple of days in the summer or a week or two in the summer, mm. it is indulge hourly and daily. So it's all play. It's all play. And that puts the parent with custody at a, at a real disadvantage. And so what you have guilt working two ways there. Yeah. You have the parent that with primary custody who's struggling, not wanting to be too harsh not wanting to be the heavy and disciplined because when they go to the other parent, they're getting no discipline. And guilt in that respect, I mean, it, we all understand guilt as a parent. I mean, we, we all get the, I can't give my kids everything. I can't go to a theme park right now. I can't take them out to eat. I, we can't do that sport. And I'm seeing this a lot with the sports and activities even my kids are in. I, I see parents that are paying with cash because they're trying to hide from another spouse how much this activity is really costing mm. that they don't have the money. This is why I say they have dollar bins at the front end of a lot of the stores is because parents even feel guilty taking their kids on errands. This is how silly we've gotten sometimes with the guilt. So guilt comes in all different ways. We want to appease them. with Let's give them a little toy so they'll be good as we spend an hour shopping. So the guilt hits every parent, single parent, blended family, recently divorced, you know, separated for long periods of time. And, and then the church as a pastor, I'm coming at every parent saying this is – Whatever your season of life, wherever you are as a parent, your child, the, the end result, the end game should still be the same no matter what the season of life our family is in. Mm. Mm. Ted, I hear what you're saying. I understand uh, the concern. But again, if my mom were with you, uh, let's say she went to your church and mm. she was telling you, my five-year-old Jimmy, he's a little out of control. He, he'll throw a tantrum if he doesn't get his way. I may be overindulging him. I probably have done this for too long now. What can I do to start getting him pointed in a better direction? Mm -hmm. And see, I would speak to two people right there. I would first speak to the people in the restaurant that are judging the mom for having a child a little unruly. <laughs> and we've all been there. Could you quiet that kid down? Mm -hmm. Oh, and, talk about the airplane. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I've, I, and I've just reminded myself, and I try to keep our congregation aware of this all the time, you never know the whole story. Yeah. So put the judging away, put it way back. You don't know what's going on in that family's life. To your mom, I would say every family is unique and it's all about expectations. Why do blended families have such a difficult time? Because they don't have proper expectations. They want to be a traditional nuclear family, but they're not. And so with single parents, oftentimes, and, and this is a conversation the kids need to be brought into, we, we aren't like every family on this block. There isn't another family on this block like our family. We are unique. Okay, so we're going to have different expectations. We're not going to be able to do this. We're not going to be able to have this activity or that sport. I'm working one or two jobs. I'm not able to be at all of your activities. And, and, and I, I even see this guilt. I remember the day when your dad attending half of your games was good. Hmm. You know, but now the guilt that sets into parents of any season of life that if I miss one of my child's games, I'm a horrible parent. <laughs> mm. Somebody has to provide. You have to work. There are jobs. And, and I'm even trying to get parents to remove that guilt from their life to realize you can't do everything. Mm. Your child can't do everything. You can't do everything. You have to provide. You have to work. 
And years down the road, your children will look back at that. And like you said earlier, John, I mean, that's when the friendship begins, when you realize the sacrifices mom and dad made. And sure, you didn't get everything you wanted. And there wasn't even time, you know, to take in all the sports activities, or maybe you missed school on certain days because the car was breaking down. I mean, all of this is real life. And so mom and dad have to quit the comparison. They have to, and that's that's part of vanity parenting too, comparison parenting. Con, that's the competitive parent. I want my child to be like all the other mm-hmm. children when God uniquely designed your child. Well, and let's be real. The, the irony when you're in small groups at church or you're able to connect at a more intimate level where you can be vulnerable as a parent, what you find out is that most kids are exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, really. Uh, it's just that you didn't catch that other child, the other family's child at a weak moment. But when you get to know the families and they get to know you as a family, they're going to see some things that go, wow, okay, he really, that little boy really reacted to that. And we need to get away from that uh, idea of comparing one another and just get the job done, don't we? And it starts so early, though. I remember the first time I compared was the, the, <laughs> the six-week visit for Corinne at the doctor's office. She's six weeks old, and what do they do? The doctor sits there and pulls up all these charts. She's in the 90 percent And starts comparing your child's head circumference. Head circumference, which Cunningham's right way up there for the size of our heads. (laughs) She was in the 98 percent. She's got such big brains. But then, yeah, but then the weight was down. But you immediately start thinking, how can I get my kid in the top 90 percent? How can I feed them more? Yeah, when it's like, this is a birth issue. (laughs) I can't take credit really for any of this. (laughs) Well, and and it does point also to an immediate culture. We want perfection immediately. We want to see our child in the right bracket at the right moment at the right time. Uh, Ted, let's talk about parental communication. Um, We Mm -hmm. touched on it here and there, but one of the difficulties we have is that moms and dads will see things quite differently because of our own wiring and our own ability, brain chemistry and everything else. Uh, now, again, these are generalities, and I don't mean to Absolutely. offend a mom who's, who acts more like a male-brained person, right. you know, a person that's very task-oriented, bang, bang, bang. But generally, uh, a mom is going to be compassionate, the nurturer, the one who looks out for that child, is willing to say, okay, and slip the kid a cookie. Dad can be a little more demonstrative on the rules, a little more harsh, perhaps. And again, I know I'm speaking generalities here, and that can flip the old 80-20 rule. But speak to that communication, what's important in a marriage, to make sure we've got this understanding before we communicate to our children. Yeah, and gender differences are just one of the factors. You have personality differences, spiritual gifts come into play. So with Amy and I, like I've explained to her lately, I have a seven-year-old son, Carson. And I told her, I said, honey, I love you and I love our son, but you really need to stop calling him Pooh Bear. And how did that go? Yeah. She's like, I know. I said, I I go, I get the nickname, but I'm trying to get this little guy to become a man and to maybe not whine so much and and start taking responsibility. When you tell him to go upstairs and clean, I don't want to hear anymore. My legs hurt. Well, he's thinking, I'm your Pooh Bear. Why would you send me upstairs to clean? When a lot of moms just hearing you now are going, oh, that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) And I said, I had this conversation the other night at dinner, and Amy said, here's kind of how we worked it out. There are moments where I need to shut up and let her be a mom and just back off, and we have a conversation later. And she says the same thing. There are moments she needs to lower her voice, and allow me to be the dad. Uh, Ted, I'm thinking, I mean, my mind is racing on different scenarios, but a a serious area, and I know many listening may be facing this with a teenager, 
mm-hmm. who, you know, for years, uh, perhaps there have been some deficiencies. We haven't done things right. No parent is perfect. And oftentimes in the Christian community, we tend to want to believe we can do something perfectly, that the outcome, therefore, will be perfect. And mm-hmm. there's probably no more intensity than in our parenting. And if we just do these things right, God will honor that. And that's true. However, sometimes children have to work that out, especially 13, 15, 17-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Talk to that parent who's got that teenager that, you know what, we did things reasonably well, mm-hmm. but now they're pushing us away. We don't talk. Communication Ooh. is hard. Mm-hmm. Everything we do is wrong. Everything we do is questioned by them. They seem to think they're smarter than we are. What does a parent do in that situation? And I know you're, you're presenting that in a serious way, but I would ask, what is the actual problem? Because mm-hmm. I think what I experience as a pastor in the church more are, it's not a teenage crisis, it's a parenting crisis. Because here's what I think happens, and it's in chapter one of The Trophy Child. We accelerate childhood milestones and we delay adulthood milestones. And that, to me, is why we have the prolonged adolescence and teenage crisis in our culture. From zero to 10, we are accelerating. This is part of our trophy parenting. I mean, we're kicking it in high gear. We want our kids to be successful. We want them to be in the honors gifted program. Uh, reading is no longer acceptable. It's accelerated reading. We got to read fast. Uh, we get a gold star on every paper. So it's push, 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 push. That's why you saw commercials like, my baby can read. Okay, <laughs> we, we just, we are pushing yeah. our kids. At 10 years old, 11 years old, and you have other guests on that can speak to this far better than I can. But at 10, 11, 12, those tween years, and there's a tween parent right now going, oh, please speak to the tween years. These are hard. Individualization and separation are kicking in. And here's my opinion as it pertains to the Scripture, and I believe a design of Almighty God, your little child is becoming an adult. But what we want to do is keep them a child. Keep them a child. And it's all because of trophy and vanity parenting. Accelerating those milestones was all about vanity parenting. And then from 10, 11, 12, we move more into the companion parenting. And what happens is we start delaying those adulthood milestones. And I always use, I, I use this example of, of riding a horse. You, you kick the horse on to spur him on to go. You pull back on the reins and say, whoa, to slow him down. I think what we're doing with our tweens and teens, both of those at the same time. We pushed them for 10 years, and at 10, 11, and 12, they start taking off doing exactly what we have conditioned them to do. Go, go, go. Run, run, run. Fast, fast, fast. Succeed, succeed, succeed. Well, now they want to do this as their own little person, and that's when mom and dad go, whoa, wait a second. No, you can't have a job. No, you can't make that decision on your own. And and that's when the struggle and the strife comes in. Mm. And that's why now we're seeing, I believe, the adulthood milestones, there's only five of them. Leave home, finish school, get a job, get married, and start a family. Those five milestones have been the same in my grandparents' generation, my generation, the millennial generation. The only difference is my grandparents completed those five milestones in a very short period of time, if not in the same week. Okay, we have placed those on a 10, 20, and 30-year track. And I think the church and parents today are the greatest proponents for holding kids back from becoming adults because we don't think they're ready yet. So it's almost as if the parent is fearing that transition perhaps more than the child. The child is eagerly embracing it. Eagerly embracing it, and the motives there, again, you have to ask, why am I putting on the brakes to my child growing up? This is what colleges, I've talked to a few professors lately where their colleges have now come up with a policy that the professor is no longer allowed to speak directly to the parent. And I love that! <laughs> because they parents, shouldn't be! Because parents were calling the teachers yes. to manage their child's 
performance, right? Yeah, and and you said he got a C. Did he? Did the student get a C, or did mom and dad get a C on that paper? Mm-hmm. Mom and dad, way too involved. Your child needs to grow up. Your child needs to get out there and make decisions. And this, I think, the hard part for parents. And I'm and hey, listen, there's some listening right now going, I can't wait for this guy to have teenagers. Listen, they're going to make bad decisions. They're going to make decisions that you don't agree with. They're gonna and but and I know you're going, but as long as they're under my roof, well, they won't be under your roof forever. So you've got this wonderful gift from the Lord, a time where they are under your roof, where you're able to monitor <laughs> and look and see what they're doing. Because I've seen that pulling back on the reins, parent sending a child off to college, and that first semester in college, they explode. It's like I don't know what to do. I'm getting drunk every night. I'm not finishing my schoolwork and homework. I'm late to class because all the way up to 18, my mom got me up every morning. Now I got an alarm. I don't, I, you know. Okay, now we're touching on something that is really troubling, and you have different groups like Barna Research and others that are pulling this out, where kids leaving Christian homes, going off to college or in a vocation, um, as many as 70% of them are walking away from the faith. And really, there's a correlation here, isn't there, Terry? There is. And we've got we to hit it head on and not stick our heads in the sand. The reason I believe that correlation is there, that 70% of uh, Christian kids coming into college or going on to their first job, the reason they're losing it and turning away from their faith is that parents have not done the job to prepare them for a world that will ravage them. John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So we've got to prepare our kids for that battle. Yeah, and every day when my kids go out of the car, and and I I stole this from Sammy Rodriguez because his dad prayed this over him every day, and every time I hear it, it it chokes me up because it is who I want Carson to become as a dad and who I want Corinne to become as a mom. But I put my hand on them before they get out of the car, and it's a simple prayer. It's three parts. Father, would you cover them in the blood of Jesus? Would you protect them from evil? And would you fulfill your purpose in their lives? And they're seven and nine. And, and I really have this image in my head of sending them out into the world. There mm-hmm. they go. There they go. I can't be there to fight every battle for them today. And they hear that every day. Every single day. Sammy Rodriguez heard that from his dad every single day, yeah. even when he was a teenager. And his dad was a kisser. So his dad would like to kiss him <laughs> on the cheeks. And he's like, but let me tell you, that's Sammy's main message today. Yeah. He ends every message with that. He'll never forget the time where his dad, because a mom and a dad understood there's a battle out there, and and I want you to be salt and light as you go into that school, but it is not going to be easy, okay? It's going to be tough. People, There are going to be kids in there that hate you. There are kids in there. I mean, my son's first grade class, I mean, I don't know how many divorces have taken place just this year. We're not even halfway through the year, and I was in his classroom last Friday the whole day as a watchdog. And just, I I texted my wife and said, why do the kids always feel like they need to be touching me? But a lot of it is the kids just wanting that. There's a guy in there. Yeah, there's, look at it. What is this thing called facial hair? And what are these? I mean, I was was just shocked by the number of kids that that there's not a dad present in their life. Mm. And I'm trying to explain to my kids. So when Carson comes home and gives me the name of a kid, John's mean. Again, we don't know the whole story. Why is John mean? Okay, so I'm not going to try to help you, you know, stay away from John. I'm going to find ways as a parent, I know you're seven, but let's find why John doesn't share the ball on the playground and why he holds it the whole time and goes sits in a corner and he has no friends. Now, again, I can feel parents cringing because I don't want to put my child in a relationship or a situation where it compromises the path we have for them Mm. to intermix with a mean child or a bully child. Um, That could be really devastating and we don't want our child to get hurt. Help me with the balance of that. Um, help me with engaging. This is the future bully is going to be the, mm-hmm. the bad guy, not on the mm-hmm. playground, but out 
in the job. He's going to be that person's boss potentially. Yeah. And how do you bring your faith into that environment to potentially change that person? How do you do that? How do you find that balance, Ted? Yeah, well, Jesus did not pray for us to be removed from the world. <laughs> if they're in the world, protect them while they're in it. I think too many parents move into isolation. So when, when I do a parenting conference, here are the two main things. I want discipline strategies. What's the role there? And then we're going to, you know, we're going to get into the conversation of public school, private school, or Christian school. And again, those are all strategies. What are the motives driving that strategy? So if you send your child to a public school, what's your motive for that? That's what I want to get parents asking the question. Do, are we sending them to this school or that school out of convenience because of financial? Because we rarely ever bring in, even with our young children, that's a mission field in there. That is a place where my kids can go and be salt and light. And they're going to deal with bullies. They're going to deal with difficult kids because they're going to deal with them once they leave our house. Too. Okay, now let me connect these dots as we... Uh in the program, unfortunately. But when you look at the church today and our attitude toward the world and the way that we're trying to hunker down and in essence segregate ourselves from the pain of this world, not talk to that person who disagrees with us, not engage a culture that needs to know Christ. Mm -hmm. Aren't our kids seeing that model in our own behavior as parents that we're not necessarily engaging the bully on the playground? Yeah, and in the Gospel of John, Jesus as he's walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples, he says what? Don't plan on being liked. You're going to be hated. Try teaching that to your seven and nine-year-old. But teach your kids, starting now, that the goal is not to get through this life with everyone liking you and everyone praising you and everyone thinking you're great and everyone thinking you're a huge success. Following Christ means you're going to have people that are not for you. You're going to have people that want to take you out and and I don't think it's something that takes place later on down the road. It takes place right now, wherever your kids, whether you have teens, tweens, or young children, to begin teaching them things like serving, giving, working. These are the, the aspects of parenting that I think we're leaving out. We're teaching our children to succeed in every way, but we're leaving out some of these more important issues. Well, and those are the spiritual skill sets that actually expand the kingdom and do uh, good service for the Lord. That's what's beautiful about that message. But again, I think we as parents need to look at our own world, our own lives, mm. and what are we modeling mm. as our kids are watching us. And uh, that's one of the big things that I face every day with Trent and Troy, yeah. is making sure that my walk uh, demonstrates it. The companion scripture to that, in my mind, would be, um, there will be tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer, yeah, yeah. for I've overcome the world. So we don't attack the world emotionally for being the world. Uh, we're people of good cheer that bring hope and confidence to a culture that's desperate. And that's what we've got to train our kids to do. Yeah, we teach our kids not to be shocked when they experience the world. And I think that's what we see in the church a lot when people want to take Christ out of Christmas or take the Ten Commandments down off the wall or they don't want us worshiping here or praying there. I don't want my kids to be like, I can't believe that. I want them to go, yeah, Jesus mm. said that was going to happen. So this is part of maturing in my faith as a follower of Jesus. And it's part of life in this world. Yes. And thankfully, we have a, a life to look forward to after this world. Ted Cunningham, thank you for being with us. And thank you for your book, Trophy Child, Saving Parents from Performance, Preparing Children for Something Greater Than Themselves. Again, thanks for being with us, Ted. Thank you for having me. Hmm. 
Well, we appreciate uh, your wisdom and the vulnerability uh, that you've shared with here today and, and last time. You've got some great stories, too, about struggling as a parent, and I think uh, we can all learn from your example, Ted. So thanks again for joining us. Our program today was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for listening in. I'm John Fuller. Ted Cunningham said some freeing words today for parents when he said that each family is unique and situations are unique, so we don't have to be like other families. I think that each family should aim to find their own groove so that we're not comparing ourselves to those around us, but endeavoring to create the best environment for our own family. Ted's book, Trophy Child, challenges our culture's obsession with achievements. He urges parents to create a home where children find success in following God's leading and rest secure in His grace. You'll find Trophy Child when you shop online at safamily.co.za or call us on 031-716-3300. You'll notice that our Christmas catalog is on our website. We've included hundreds of resources at fantastic prices so that you can treat your loved ones with something special this year. And as we already start to look towards Christmas, you can come alongside families who are still struggling with a special gift. You can give families hope through your support of Focus on the Family by joining the Give the Gift of Family campaign. You can make your donation online at safamily.co.za or send us your contribution via EFT. All the details are on our website. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Graham Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.